Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner. And you're listening to The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites here on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, The Voice of the Community, and WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio. And on this segment of our Soundbites, The Mark Steiner Show, we're about to have a conversation about the Brassica Fest coming up in Baltimore here, a celebration of greens, but it goes a lot deeper than that, and we're going to find out what that means. Willie Flowers is with us in the studio. He's executive director of the Park Heights Community Health Alliance, and Sasha Jones, who's a food justice consultant for the Park Heights Community Health Alliance. She also manages the Afia, Afia Community Teaching Garden in Park Heights. And Sasha and Willie, welcome both back. Good to have you both here. Thank you. Always Thank good you. to see you all. So we did Basket Fest. How many years has it been now? This is the third year. Third year. So talk about this. Where, does, where it began, where it started in and this festival of greens. It was just a, a vision to um, try to connect um, people in the Park Heights community to what we were trying to establish as a local food movement to expand uh, conversations, to take the conversation about the need for, um, I guess, holistic food or uh, chemical-free free food and growing it to not just doing that or talking about it, but also stabilizing how to do it. If you didn't know how to cook, we want you to do that. If you wanted to grow your own food, we wanted to help you with that. And if you wanted to do a community garden, we wanted to help you with that. So it started out as that, and we're three years later, and we can announce, um, Sasha can really go into detail about the success of what the vision was to create a CSA that actually produced food in a, um, in a, a method that would allow people to benefit from it, to save money, and to explore having an alternative uh, food source. And at the time when we did this, I think that the the grocery store in Park Heights had just closed. So we were committed mm. to trying to, instead of complaining about it, we wanted to create a solution for it. And we did it with the, the CSA, the Growing Food Together CSA. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and we coupled that, uh, booked in, bookend our, um, our big kickoff in March with the closing festival. And she can report on the success of the CSA over the last two years. And we're very proud of that. The numbers have grown. And the, the poundage, I've been trying to remember the amount, but I think last year it was 3,000 pounds mm-hmm. of food. And I, I, I'm sure that has increased this year. <laughs> Definitely. And, um, and she's done a variety of things in the garden with the um, the the variety of food, which, you know, you can, you know, I, I would be happy just eating collards and um, <laughs> carrots, but she um, nothing else just collards. <laughs> I'll be I'll be cool, but she she's she's been able to create a diversity of uh, options, and it really is exciting. Um, and, you know, like she can go into detail about it, but week after week there would be something new and everybody would be excited about it. Like, what's next? Like, what's this and what's next? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so she, she coupled that with um, doing recipes, which helped. And like I said, it, it's, it culminates with the Brassica Festival, and we're here. You know? now, and we're going to get deep into the Brassica Festival in a moment, but I think, that, let me just say, for, as we turn to Sasha, that, that I mean, I'm one of those people, and I will say this to the public here, that completely enamored and blown away by the farm and the CSA in Park Heights. I mean, I've interviewed people from across America uh, when it comes to creating community gardens and farms in working class and poor working class communities in in our country, especially in communities of color. And uh, this is unique in in many ways. Creating a CSA that actually is affordable, for poor working people, people can actually buy the food they need and not have to spend fifty, a hundred dollars. Walk away with this, you know. You <laughs> some places they're going to charge you six bucks for a, a carton of eggs or or five bucks for a head of lettuce, you know. And it's just it, this is what you all have created is is nothing short of a, a, a miracle in terms of people th- said it couldn't happen, but you've found a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this, this is just it's, it's 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 amazing. I think it needs to be people. People need to hear about this. People need to know about it. I'm just I'm very proud of you all, and just so happy that of what you all created. Just wanted to put throw that my editorial out there. Right. About no, your work. I, I mean, just, you know. and the other thing is, we always try to simplify it because it could be intimidating. I right. Mean, it's you know it's intimidating when you use words like CSA or food <laughs> hub or, or even 
farmer's market because mm-hmm. you have to be socialized to uh, benefit from that. But we've tried to make it simple. Um, and again, she, you know, she has a, a crew of uh, volunteers. And, you know, I can't think of a more simplistic way that it's presented and made easy to participate. And, you know, so, like I said, we, you know, we're very happy about that. Yeah. So, Sasha, give us a report that uh, (laughs) that Willie was talking about. CSA has definitely grown, and it has been great. It's been a learning experience for all of us. Um, And this year, it really has come full circle in what we envisioned it to be in the beginning and how it has actually played out. So, you know, as you and some of the listeners may know, we have a sweat equity CSA, so people can work for their food. And we saw that. We had that model, and we saw it working. It was like, huh, you know, we might need to add a little bit more value to this. So this year we made a real effort to train folks and to get them the information that they wanted to know in terms of how to, you know, build a small intensive farm or how to garden at home or, you know, just very small things. And our sweat equity members have done that this year. So we did some training classes. We did um some giveaways we we let you know they take food home already but we really have created a community um and that is a testament through us having a planning team (laughs) this year with brassica fest and you know our sweat equity members have stayed on even though right now csa has ended and we still have people coming around and willing to volunteer um in terms of the food that we have grown we we probably increased our diversity by 20 crops this year so last year we grew about 40 different um crops and varieties of those crops this year were in the 60s 60s yeah, yeah I know. and it's and it's astounding to me when but that's I that's more than most farms i know do i mean that's right. that's you know i sit down and think about it i just sent out our csa survey uh yesterday and i already have responses back and i'm typing down all the crops and all the things that was in the share this year and it's amazing to me what we can grow in this small this small space but then also how we can bring people into how to prepare these foods how to store these foods um you know, where does your relationship with food start and how can you take it to the next level? And that's really all we're talking about at Brassica Fest, um, you know, plus plus some, some a little bit more. But, you know, that has kind of been the core and it really has been working and people have been utilizing it more. We have more folks from the community participating this year. We've grown more food. Um, we've increased our, our land area. So I'm I'm very elated with how things are going right now? But sixty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, just for just for just just for fun's sake, for a moment, like hey. what? I mean, the things that we might not be thinking about. Well, I mean, I'm no carrots, right? We, we had, did carrots. We had, we had our ground cherry. Yeah. <laughs> so ground that was a new one for everybody. Those things that they, they, they come up in little paper things. Uh huh. Exactly. Them, right? exactly. Right. The, I call them the candy nightshade. And, like it's, it's and they a, were a big hit. Yeah, all the all the children in the CSA love them. All of our like kids five and below because it's both a snack and an activity. So you can just give it to them and they just have at it. Um, we did two different types of um, cherry tomatoes. We did sun golds and yellow pears, which everybody loves the sun golds. Um, few heirloom varieties, uh, two or three varieties of eggplant, uh, two varieties of. Cucumber. We did lemon cucumbers. Oh yeah! Don't right. forget the okra. Yes, we did okra. <laughs> we did green and red okra this year. Everybody, you know, okra is one of those foods that you always have to convince people that they'll like. But then with the CSA, because you you have a choice. We do a market style CSA, so there's some leeway of choice in what you get each week with the share. But sometimes you just got to take it, and so we're coaxing people like, you know, this is going to be great. You can try like this, try like that, and then you know, the following week they come. You know, I tried that okra, and it was delicious. So, you know, the okra people are still craving it right now, even though it's out of season. Um, what else do we do? Daikon radish and all the the small salad radishes. The artichoke. Yeah, the Jerusalem artichokes. We did Jerusalem artichokes. Um, oh. We've been harvesting our sunflower seeds, so we may be giving out some of those seeds soon. Um, so that that's not grown for food, but we do use it. Um, what else? Well, we, we did. We started ahead. the. Um, the bees this year, so we'll, oh, have, that's honey. Right. That's we'll right. have honey next year. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Wow. Yeah, so if anyone wants to join our CSA for next year, we'll have honey. And we had <laughs> loads of every pepper you can yeah. uh, uh, you can name. <laughs> we did about you know. eight different varieties of peppers. And that was, um, 
So yeah. who does all the research on that? You do that, Sasha? All the research on, on what to plant? and Yeah, so it's a labor, it's a joint task between myself um, and the CSA members of the year previous. So this week, uh, this weekend at Braska Fest, we're going to have our annual CSA meeting. So it's a kind of, you know, come to the table moment for everyone who has participated this past year. And just to tell us what they liked and what they didn't like so much um, and what they want us to grow for next year. So we take that feedback and then I add on to it whatever little bit of researching I've been doing. So I may be playing with rice next year. I might. <laughs> we may play. We're definitely going to do more potatoes um, and increase our beans because we didn't grow very many this year. We did three different varieties, but I want to get into fava and lima and maybe and some potatoes bright beans. can carry it through the fall. Yeah, so potatoes right. can actually be planted right now. Um, and I just don't have any. I didn't save any, so I'm really sad. But next year, <laughs> exactly next year, I'll get them in as soon so as we, I can. And we had three varieties of potatoes. Yep, yep. We did yeah. red, gold, and uh, blue or purple, depending on how you no feel sweets. about it. Oh, and yeah, sweet potatoes. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. Purple potatoes are good. They're they're, they're an anti-carcinogen. Right. Mm-hmm. They're good. I like yep. I love purple potatoes. Yep. Right? But you know, it's all purple. Everything for me It's my favorite. Me too. My, my, I, love, I love cooking purple. <laughs> I do too. I love cooking purple. <laughs> and don't forget the mushrooms. <laughs> yes, well, and we have shiitake mushrooms, mushrooms. Yes, so we give that out in our CSA as well. Whew. I have to join your CSA. You should. Yeah, I will. <laughs> we got about, about two figs. <laughs> uh, excuse me, there were six. <laughs> <laughs> but it was oh, our yeah. first fig an harvest, so we were... need to have a fig for everybody. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to go around. We're just hoping it doesn't get too cold or snowy this right. year so that the tree doesn't go away again. So so the Braska Fest, this is our third year coming up, right? And it's, it's this coming Saturday, November 21st from 9 to 5. So what? I just want to get there. Before we get into back into the heart of the CSA and the community, let's talk a bit about what's happening on this, 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 this day from 9 to 5. So um, the heart of it, um, she can go over, but the, the highlights for a lot of people are um, Bring Your Own Brassica or BYOB, the recipe contest. Bring Your Own Brassica. Right. So uh-huh. it's a recipe contest. You can uh, bring a dish, and it's a potluck-style luncheon for everybody there. And um, it's a contest. So if you are voted on to have the best recipe, you can win something special. And um, this year, uh, one of the highlights is we, we've invited – um, Byron um, Hurt. Uh, Hurt, who's the uh, director of uh, Soul Food Junkies, which is significant to you know um, the people in our population because it was the first uh, documentary that kind of um, uh, really made a good connection with the African-American community around food and the history of food and why we eat what we eat and the the negative outcomes of it, but the positive outcomes and the most positive thing about the food is that it, it does create a sense of family and unity. Um, we just need to um, cook it better and, you know, maybe eliminate some of it. But um, but it's a, a fabulous documentary. We're going to show the documentary, and uh, he's going to be here to speak. And then we're doing a evening mayoral uh, food forum to discuss um, access to food, Growing your own food and sustainability overall, and the vision for each candidate about what they see to to alter it uh, to make that's it that's important. Yeah, pr- particularly on this issue on the front end because of the number of vacant lots that are just being wasted, um, and just the reality that um, you can control it. You can't do anything immediately, like build a you know a, a Whole Foods or whatever, but you can encourage people like Cuba did and just give them seeds. And that hasn't been done. Give people seeds so they can grow their own. Exactly. In their backyards, in community in land community, spaces. Yeah, make it easy, you know. So that that's really important to hear that kind of vision because we don't often hear that kind of visionary outlook about what our community could be from the people we elect mm-hmm. from political office. Yeah, we hear a lot about crime. We hear a lot about schools. Um, but our lives are composed of way more than just those two mm-hmm. things, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, It seems that when you, what you were just saying, Sasha, what you just said, well, just to think about what, um, what you all have to teach us in your daily work in Park Heights. Because, you know, when people in Baltimore think about Park Heights, they don't live there, don't come near it, um, they have one image, right? Mm-hmm. Because that horrendous murder took place there just to... Last week and mm-hmm. and, the, and the rest and and that was horrible um, and what happens but I mean there's 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 more to that community 
and I think it's that gets lost. And um, and we're at the center of it. Uh, the young man who um, was killed on Park Ice Avenue, he actually had contacted our instructor about putting his kids in our coding class, and and that blew me away because it happened probably the week before or a day before mm. that um, this incident uh, went down. And she only identified with it because he left a message and um, and then she saw his name on the news. So, um, and, you know, uh, we've had a lot of uh, what I consider uh, tragedies that should not have happened in our area. And, it you know, it inspires... Um, you know, us to continue to you know continue to work to connect to connect people, and that's kind of uh, um, what we try to do every day. So, what well, talk about? You talk about the code class. Talk, talk about that. So we um, we were inspired by really Van Jones spoke at the Baltimore Urban League um, dinner this year, and he had a talk about yes, we code, which is a coding class, and his vision of uh, training a hundred thousand coders. Um, as a workforce development tool, but also just an introduction to um, coding languages at the earliest stage possible to kids hmm. in urban areas because there's a, a great need for coders uh, on the government side and the private side. So I was, you know, inspired by it, and I came in and, and told the staff about it. I don't <laughs> think they knew what <laughs> I was, you know, the vision was. But we were lucky enough to get an instructor who, who knew how to teach kids and the intro part is just to give them comfort and confidence that they could do it. And and basically he said that if they could do my, uh, Minecraft, they could learn how to code. And that's happened. We're in our seventh week of a 10-week course, and everything's going well. That's I mean, amazing. That's, a, fun. that's really mm-hmm. important. Yeah, I wish the, I could join the class. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the only thing we did, did where we haven't had any, you know, retention issues. Like, you know, really? Oh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's been fabulous because they – come every uh, you're teaching Tuesday. the class right no <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be a no I'm, I'm trying to learn drop and drag <laughs> but, uh, but they um, the first the first uh, orientation we had and we presented it would be a 10 week program and it would be once a week um, I knew it was going to be a good experience because one of the young ladies said why is it only one day a week <laughs> you know, so we, you know, it's been fun ever ever since. Um, with the time change, the weather change, they're still in there. That's that's really very, really very important. I mean, I think that that's again, you know, the other day we talked about you all in the air just because it came up to the conversation about what's happening in Baltimore on Tuesday, and and it was that. I mean, that the, the to me the the stuff you all do in the park, the, the center you run is is so critically important to the community and does incredible work. But it's always like. It's never in the front pages where it needs to be right. about the work that gets done right. or the CSA or the work in coding right. or the other work you do. And there's a subjective nature of that funding thing that um, I, you know, have to toil with because I understand development. I understand um, politics. But at some point, you know, if you have, um, you know, clear outcomes and there's a need, um, there's not an- another coding class in the area. So why wouldn't, why wouldn't you f- fund this one? And there's <laughs> not a there's not another um uh, profound food movement no. like we have. So at some point, why don't you just fund them? <laughs> <laughs> just give us some money. I mean, no, because you, you, I mean, in terms of the farming, I mean, there are people that that you introduced me to, with the Blues, the, mm-hmm. the couple, um, who have their own farm and they're doing great work. And you know, and we all learn from them mm-hmm. because it's just master farmers. Mm-hmm. But at this <clears throat> farm in the midst of the Park Heights is just so unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we expanded this year. We have, uh, you know, we collaborated with the Park Heights Renaissance with another location that allowed for us to have a hoop house. So um, she can talk about what she plans to do over the winter with that. But we've expanded it. We have uh, loads of brassicas. <laughs> Tons. Loads, loads. <laughs> we, 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 let's come back to the hoop house, but we mm-hmm. never even – did we ever say what brassica meant? Oh, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 the brassica fest coming out this Saturday. We never said what brassica meant? Yeah, so brassica <laughs> is, is a fancy word, but we already know. We all know what they are. Um, and it's the Latin word to describe the genus of fam, uh, of plants in the brassicaceae family, another mm. fancy Latin word. Um 
And it's collards and kale, kohlrabi, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, turnips, mustards, um, all of the greens and roots that we've all grown up with and know and love um, Mm -hmm. and that we we just approach it. You know, we approach the Brassica family because it it's it's one it's close to all of us you know black white brown someone has a brassica on the menu yeah, every culture has <laughs> some brassica, brassica. In exactly it. you um, know there are a ton of asian greens you know so we all eat them and we love them um they're bok, extremely bok choy bra- brassica? yes yeah. it is yeah. bok choy tatsoi mizuna pak choy yeah oh it's great right i love it um you know so it's it's they're completely nutrient dense so we all know that kale is a super food but so is all of its cousins and brothers and sisters so right. all of the brassica family you know they they are very nutritious for us and then three they're extremely resilient and easy to grow which is you know acts as a theme of what we do to build community resilience you know personal resilience and self-sufficiency which we can look mm. to the brassica family for that as well so you know it's a it's a great um conversation starter you know because most people when you say brassica they're like huh what some people can barely say it but then when we break it down right. you see you know why it's such an excellent group of vegetables to really look to and to talk about right and speaking about that i didn't understand about the faith of a mustard seed until i <laughs> i think we dropped some, some mustard we seed. dropped some in a on the parking lot and it, and it grew in the crack. <laughs> so, so it, it, uh, it's been, you know, it's been a joy overall with this activity. But it's a program that I think, you know, activities like these need to be in every neighborhood, particularly when, you know, there's been so much divestment of neighborhoods in urban areas. Um, and there needs to be a re-education about the significance of the ease of growing your own food and the benefit of it overall, particularly when it comes down to saving money. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that that this model I think is so important, and I, I just why we want to get everybody should come from all parts of town to come and spend the day on Park Heights at the Brassica Festival. Cause, you know, that, that just to feel it and see it and see what change can be about, mm-hmm. what community can be about, what you can do. But you, the same thing you do when you have your. What's, what's the run called you have at the Baltimore Road Race? The Baltimore Road Race, up and down Park, Park Heights. Park Heights 5K. <laughs> I didn't do it this year. We've done the last couple of years. We'll do it again this coming year. I'll make right. sure my schedule fits this time. We're there and not out of right. town. And But those two things, with the Road Race, the Nebraska Festival, all these things are just about how to build community. Mm-hmm. Make that happen. And it should be. Um, and, you know, we'll assume particularly – from the outside or from, you know, higher up in these government agencies that people just supposed to get it. And then you criticize them for not getting it or for their own um, illnesses, their uh, tragedies and this kind of deal. But, you know, I think that there's been an absence of, 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 I guess, instruction, uh, family instruction for some years. And it takes some safety nets to help people along. And she can kind of get into the benefit and the community-oriented nature of the CSA um, and what how it connects with the Nebraska Festival. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, that's where it starts. So our community, our food community, starts with our CSA, and it just kind of balls and rolls um, throughout the season until we get to Nebraska Fest. Um, we have families. We have mother-daughter duos. We have, you know, <laughs> young young families that come, and we see the babies every week. Um, you know, and everyone that we touch throughout the season, we try to fit some programming in there for them at Brassica Fest. So this year um, we'll have a workshop transitioning your child or your family from a junk food diet. Mm. Um, we at the ha- festival? At the festival. So that's one of our workshops. We have another um, a children's activity where there'll be the kids will get to make their own fresh juice so they'll it'll be a kale based juice throw some apples in there we actually got a, a donation from the baltimore orchard project for some apples so they'll be able to um to do that they, they're going to do some vegetable painting so uh that's for the kids the parents um we have split the information this year into three separate checks because it has been that it's just been a lot of information and we we really want people to get it so we'll be talking about our first track is community organizing 101 our second one is eating to live 
Um, and the third is happy homesteading or urban homesteading. So we have a good mix hmm. of workshops that will speak to all of those topics. So um, we're talking about eating clean on a budget. Uh, we have a beekeeping workshop. So if you're interested in keeping bees at home, um, you can come and learn everything that you need to know from where to order the bees to how much time you know of maintenance you need to do each week. We have a couple coming in to do a growing our garden workshop. So they'll be talking about um, you know actually building a garden at home with very limited space. Um, and having they have a, a young daughter, so she helps them out a little bit too. Um, we have a Know Your Rights workshop, hmm. um, which would focus on the housing system. So the Right to Housing Alliance is going to do that oh, workshop wow. right. to um, good, good. to speak to the displacement that is happening in Park Heights as well as you know and all over the city, and then just how people can deal with their landlords and how they can build um, community and collective power to address those issues um, in their housing. We have a permaculture workshop that you, uh, we have a, a woman, she's speaking on, um, her name is Phila Hoops, and she's speaking on um, stormwater management through a permacultural lens. So for all the people that were affected by that stormwater tax or who have, you know, standing water issues in their backyards, permaculture, you know, might be the ticket for you. We'll be, you know, we'll be showing soul food junkies. We have a sprouting workshop. We have a bunch of stuff going on, um, and it's really to provide information at each level of the of of understanding. So when we get our CSA members in each year, it's always very interesting to see where people kind of start out. We have some people that are like, oh, I know what this is. Oh, I know this. This is, you know, I already know how to cook this. And then we have some people that are like, you know, huh, what's this? I've never seen it before. So um, speaking to every entry point from the person who, you know, just may be interested in food or organizing um, or health to the person who is ready to take it up a notch, you know, and really start to bring those things home. Um, we have a little bit of something for everybody. And, you know, our community is diverse and we're vibrant. And so we provide programming that speaks to us all. That's exciting. It really is. And, and taking place at, uh, I think, one of the more exciting new schools. Right. Uh, the Creative yeah. City Public Charter School. And they're they're in the community. I mean, you can right. they you can say what you want to about um, whatever your feeling is about public schools and charter, charter schools. schools. They came to our Brassica Festival mm-hmm. last year mm-hmm. and like immediately said, we can host it next year because you're getting small. And, <laughs> and, uh, and then um, the conversation continued because they came to the race. Mm-hmm. So they're in the community um, like no other school I've seen. You know, one of the things about that school, I'll just say this, since this that's where this is going to be taking place at, at, at 2810 Shirley Avenue, is that um, they're a school that fits right into the, seems to me, the philosophy and theme of the work that you all do mm-hmm. in Park Heights. Because, right. I mean, it's not just, it's, this is not a school that was built so you can just bust people in from another neighborhood so it's an all-white charter school. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. charter school that, that represents the community and kids from Park Heights are right. in that school, mm-hmm. what, right? From what I could see, um, I guess them and also Kip, they do a good job of, of, of recruitment. Um, this is their first year, so I don't know about any substantial outcomes, but I can say that they have uh, enhanced the uh, landscape in the area. Mm-hmm. They have a... Uh, they Outdoor classroom. Yeah, outdoor classroom, and they have uh, a garden that is substantial. Uh, I think Kent kind of started it, and they enhanced it. And so, you know, I, from what I can see, things are going well. I think it's exciting. So, I mean, there's so much to do here. Uh, from 9 to 5, and then the forum is at what time? Um, the forum is at 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock. So the... So this Saturday, November 21st, 2015, 9 to 5 p.m., Brassica Fest, a celebration of greens, but you can hear it's much more than that. Um, and it will be taking place at the Creative City Public Charter School at 2810 Shirley Avenue. And you want to find more information, call 410-542-8190. That's 410-542-8190. Or go to brassicafest.com, B-R-A-S-S-I-C-A. F-E-S-T dot com, uh, 9 to 5 p.m., uh, and it's uh, just an, an amazing festival, and the organization putting it on, to me, is one of the most important organizations in our city, the Park Heights Community Health Alliance, and we're here with its executive director, Willie Flowers, and Sasha Jones, who is a food justice consultant uh, and manages the Afia Community Teaching Garden in Park Heights. So doing the Park Heights Community Health Alliance and all the hundreds of people who show up that day for a day of workshops and having good fun and good eats contests 
right. hear a mayoral forum, see an incredible documentary about soul food and more. And uh, and we also want to press the uh, invite to people who can cook. People who yeah. can cook. And people, people who, who are can trying. cook. People who can cook. You can cook on the spot? Well, you can cook on the spot if that works. I think somebody did that one year. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah. we want to invite them to our um, BYOB um, recipe contest. And, um, and you can visit the website to sign up. We ask that you sign up in advance so we can enter you in Raskafest. and have your information. Raskafest.com. Um, and hmm. click on the link for the BYOB recipe contest and potluck. Oh, I wonder if I have a time to make my brassica special. I of course you do. do. <laughs> I think you do. <laughs> I have like a multi-green thing that I make with rice. And bring it, bring every it green you can imagine inside that pot. I like it. You, you got to do it now. <laughs> <laughs> You, you put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm very excited. We'll, we'll be there. Fowler and I will be there with bells on. Uh, Willie Flowers, Sasha Jones, thank you both so much. See you Saturday. Thank you. All right, thanks All right. a lot. Hello, this is Mark Steiner, and welcome, everybody. You're listening to The Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites here on WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And on Marvel Public Radio, WSDL, 90.7 FM, I'm sitting here with Ava Chin. And uh, she's a forager and a writer, and she's the former urban forager columnist for the New York Times uh, City Room and uh, has written about arts and culture for Savour. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. May we. The, <laughs> the LA Times Sunday Magazine, The Village Voice, Bust, Spin, Vibe, Martha Stewart, and more. Huffington Post named her one of nine contemporary authors you should be reading. And joins us live to talk about her memoir, Eating Wildly, Foraging for Life, Love, and the Perfect Meal. Hello. Hello. It's my pleasure to be here. Good to have you here. And since you're a semi-Baltimore girl. Yes. Did you went to the Hopkins seminar, writing seminars? I sure did. There you go. A lot of people. But Gil Scott Heron went there. Did he? I, yeah. I don't think I realized that. He was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyway. All right. Well, that makes it even cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I've gotten even cooler now, knowing <laughs> that. <laughs> he, he, he definitely went there. So, uh, welcome. Good to have you with us. My pleasure. So, um, this is interesting. I mean, the way you decided to write a memoir and mix it in with this passion and knowledge you have about foraging and your family and your love life and your all mixed in with finding... Wild sorrels and everything else. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a smart way to do it because you wrote about something you know and are passionate about. Right. I mean, in terms of the, the, the art and science of foraging. Right. And wrapped your life through it. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, it was that was the challenge of it, um, how to create a narrative uh, that was both personal as well as informative and uh, gave people an insight um, into the different edible plants and mushrooms that grow widely around us. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, a, a plant and a mushroom, they can't talk for themselves. They can't move, right? These are relatively slow-growing inanimate objects. So I found that the best way to tell this story was to try to hit all of the emotional points um, and the kind of different various tensions that occurred in my life um, and weave in the nutritional, culinary, medicinal information about the plants and give a recipe at the end. And, and, and of each one. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. So, and so the question is, first of all, um, has your mother read the book yet? She has. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and what yeah. does your mother say? Um, well, okay. So my mother... Not that she was painted like a bad person, but you were very open about... Yeah. Growing up, your dad leaving and uh, your mom going out all the time and you barricading the doors when you were nine years old and right. <laughs> right. and the rest. Yes, yes. So um, this is a difficult thing for anybody who writes memoir, right? When you write about the people that Just are still, still alive, alive right? you have relationships with them. Uh, yeah, exactly. So um, what I did was I sat my mother down last winter before I fern- turned in the f- final, final, final draft. Um, and there were still there were still opportunities to make changes. And I told her every single point in which she appeared in the narrative and where I felt like she might, um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. 
it, it might bother her. And to her credit, uh, she said that she wasn't interested in reading the book until it came out. Hmm. And uh, actually, uh, our conversation sparked numerous memories for her. So um, this is not to say that uh, there are parts of the book that um, she wished I probably hadn't revealed. Uh, She told me recently that she read the book. Uh, She didn't go into it in great detail. All she said was basically she felt like my writing had gotten more lyrical than than (laughs) the past. But that, that was basically it. So, um, yeah, so it was, it's it's hard when you're writing a memoir about people that you care about. Um, how do you tell, you know, tell the whole story so that the reader um, is as in on your life as you were? Um, but that's also kind and compassionate to the people, you know, who who you care about who are still alive. So it's an interesting choice. And I want to talk a bit about this. I mean, before we talk a bit about foraging as well, that, that you're – this creative choice that you and others are making to, as well, but the creative choice you made to, to blend that, to kind of try to cross these paths, to, to pull in your being outdoors in the city and sometimes not in the city like in Colorado or wherever mm-hmm. else, but going in the, the, and that with your love life and your grandmother and all the rest. I mean, so to talk about that. I mean, what, what did you go through to think about this is what I want to do? I think... I was really looking for the moments where I could really get at the heat of the story, Um, moments where maybe as a writer I felt uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the points where I knew, okay, instead of rushing past these moments like we often want to do just as human beings, anything that where we feel like – Anything that's revealing our flaws, any moment in which I particularly felt very vulnerable, um, I had to learn to slow down in those moments and really create the scene and tease it out um, and stay in the moment. These were moments, by the way, where my readers had told me, you know what, Eva, I didn't know what you were thinking at that point. Um, and, in terms of foraging. Oh, oh, sorry, in terms of just reading the book. Uh-huh. Right, 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 you right, know, right. They would right. be like, I didn't really know what you were thinking in that moment. And then I realized. You know, in a nonfiction narrative, in a memoir, even if the narrator is not fully cognizant of why they're doing what they're doing, you as a writer still have to make the attempt to try to elucidate as much as possible the experience of what that moment was like. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, otherwise, I mean, that's your job as a writer. Uh, if you if you don't do that, then I think you're, you're um, you know, uh, Cutting the reader short. No, I think I, I love the book. I thought which, the way you write, you're a wonderful writer. It just flows, and it's very interesting. And you want to know more about all this and who you are and your family and and the foraging <laughs> and the foraging. I mean, um, you know, the, the 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 from chapter one with the with the oyster mushroom uh, piece and right. and and uh, um, your grandfather had his issues as well. Yes, he, he sure did. Like his gambling. <laughs> yes. But you loved him. Loved him, yeah. And you learned so much from him. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Especially in the world of food, you learned a yeah, lot. Yeah. My culinary palate was set. It was established because of my grandfather. My grandfather worked in Chinese restaurants his entire life. As a cook. He, as, well, actually, he was a – first started as a waiter. Then he was mostly a bartender and a manager of okay, restaurants. Right. But he learned to cook from the cooks gotcha. that's from the different right, restaurants right, 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 that he right, worked at. Right. And so that's where my palate was, was set. I mean my grandfather cooked up an amazing amount of different kinds of seafood. I was eating snails by the time I was four years old, um, lobster, uh, you know – crabs, which actually made it feel very much at home by the time I went to the writing seminars at Hopkins. I was like, crabs, yes. (laughs) But different. But different. It's true. But I could appreciate them. You know, I had no problem, you know, taking a mallet (laughs) to to the crabs. I was like, I I wish I had grown up with that. I I used to, we just used to use like different nutcrackers. We didn't use an actual hammer. Right, right. (laughs) Yeah. The Baltimore way. No finesse. I, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciated that. So, but but that 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 to me was I, I thought you took glean from him. I mean, I think that that's one of the things about writing memoirs like this is that 
the only time to me a memoir is good is when the complexity of a human being is there. A human being is there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah. that, that, that you're not painting glorious pictures of people or also just not understanding that flaws are not the whole character, you know, or that, and that the flaws are just what uh, are part of existence. Right. And there's beauty within the, within the human being's flaws, mm-hmm. you know, who has that. That's, that's the part when you can marry the beauty and the flaws. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to get to in a long way. That was the word all I had to say was marry <laughs> the beauty and the flaws. It's what you did in this book. Thank you. Right? Yeah, Whether thank it was you. your ex-lovers or people you almost married or your... Right. Or your parents. Right, yeah. Or my parents, right? Or the people, yeah, who passed away, my beloved grandparents. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think you do a disservice to the person when you don't include all those various levels of complexity about their character. When when you try to protect them by hiding certain things, I think the reader knows. They can feel right. it. Right, You know. right. And you can also learn that there's no difference between – Chinese, Jewish, black, or Italian <laughs> grandmother's mother. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> They're all the that's, same. That's right. <laughs> Eat. <laughs> yes, they have their own intensity and their own expectations, <laughs> which you invariably fall short of. So um, let's talk about the foraging. I, I talk about how you, A, let's begin with how you got into foraging in the beginning. How did Tell the story of how that became part of your life. Sure. So, okay. So, like, background context, you have to know that I was the kind of city kid that grew up pulling the onion grass, also known as field garlic or wild garlic, from out of the back courtyard of my mother's apartment building. I knew it was edible because it smelled like the scallions and the Chinese chives that my grandfather used to cook with. I also was the kind of kid that would you know, fish out of city waters and bring fluke and flounder back home for my grandparents to cook up. So I wasn't um, – that plus my grandfather's cooking with I think what people – other people might consider very uh, unusual ingredients, medicinal roots and herbs, um, different a different variety of mushrooms. Um, he, he, My grandfather believed, like a lot of Chinese people, that your food is your medicine. That's also how he showed his love. So um, my palate and I think my um, – background was really very open for the idea of and were very receptive mm-hmm. to the idea of wild food so that by the time I started forging in earnest as an adult and it was on the heels of a breakup with someone that I thought I was going to marry and whom my grandmother was hoping that I would marry. She was a little upset when you did Yeah, it. she was just, she just, a, just a little that bit. Wasn't a good, you didn't have a good time with your grandmother that day. <laughs> no, no. She, she basically refused to talk to me right. for a while after that. Um, and, you know, that was that was her prerogative. <laughs> it wasn't fun for me, but, you know, that's how she, she showed her both her displeasure as well as her love. Um, so so after I broke up um, with that old boyfriend, I ch- channeled all of that kind of neurotic energy that I, I had maybe would have used for things like wondering who was going to love me or, you know, who I was going to date next. <clears throat> I channeled that all into learning about the edible plants that were growing all around me in the five boroughs in which I grew up. And I went on a foraging walk with a naturalist who had been running tours in New York City since the 1980s. And from there, I met other people who were foragers. I went on foraging walks with them. I collected I'm – a, I'm a little bit of a hidden uh, Johns Hopkins writing seminars kind of nerdy girl. So <laughs> I boned up on all of the f- great foraging books that existed, you know, from Yule Gibbons' uh, 1962 Wild Stalking the, the Wild Asparagus, right? which, is, which became my Bible, um, to uh, the Peterson Fields Guides and – Audubon Society guides uh, to mushroom hunting. Um, and I took all of these together and I just my knowledge just started to increase both by learning from other foragers as well as, you know, staying home at night and boning up on my Latin names for the plants. And it was, it was really – I think it was really fun. And it really actually helped me to um, – it helped me to – 
to learn how to take things slowly in relationships. I was hmm. the kind of person who used to jump headlong into a relationship with the other person. I was a sort of like being in love with love. As cliched as that is, it's really quite true in my case. And um, learning about the plants taught me to slow down. Um, because in order to really know a plant, you have to see it in a variety of different seasons. You need to know what it looks like when it's a fresh young shoot in the spring mm-hmm. to what it looks like when it starts to bloom and go into full maturity in the summer to what it looks like when it dies back in the winter. And this was the same thing with people. I realized that in a relationship, in order to really know someone, I had to see them in those variety of different stages. This is intertwining of your foraging and your love. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Loving to forage and foraging for love. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, so in that, I, I, people think about foraging. And, and one of the things you talk about in foraging that many foragers do is the, the helpful qualities of the things that you find in the forest, in the rocks, in the cracks of cement, <laughs> in the backyard that you won't find in industrial agriculture. That's right. That's right. So wild... Plants, wild edible plants, are actually higher in phytonutrients. Which means? Which means like phyto means plants in Latin. So higher in these nutrients like antioxidants Mm -hmm. than even the plants that we find in our agriculture. Because in general, we as human beings have tended to breed the nutrition out of our food to privilege flavor. So we like benign sweetness. We don't like things that tend to be bitter, right? So if you ever taste dandelion leaves, oh, yeah. dandelions you are... dandelion wine that's many, right. many moons ago. That's right. <laughs> um, dandelion leaves are really bitter, right? Um, and as Americans, we have a tendency not to like that th- that much. Um, in the Mediterranean, they love it and they cook with dandelion leaves all the time. Um, but here in the U.S., we tend to privilege a, a, a sweeter, more benign flavor. But that bitter component to the dandelions is actually an indication that it's higher in nutrients, those phytonutrients I was talking about, than other kinds of salad greens that we might have might be looking at. So in your diet at home, do, do, do you as the Upper West Side, East Side woman that you are now <laughs> as opposed to Brooklyn or Queens or any place else. Yeah. Um, what percentage of the greens and mushrooms and food on those orders and honey that you consume are wild? So it really depends on the season. In the spring, summer, and fall, uh, it's a higher percentage. So it could be anywhere as high as like – 30 or 40 percent of our wow. diet. Um, but in the wintertime, not so much. And right. right. sort of using uh, maybe dried mushrooms that I've, co- I've collected throughout the year. Um, wild honey, I still use that as my mainstay. I wish I had brought some for you. I'm oh, wow. Sorry Love some of that. Didn't. We're big honey people. Next time. <laughs> yeah, next time. I mean, because that's one of the parts of your book is about. When you learned about the dangers that the, the bees were going through, and you first walked into the swarm, and that's right, pulling out the wild honey, and that's right, that's a very interesting little story. Wow, that was—I have to say—that was so much fun. I was walking across the college campus uh, where I'm a professor. And I walked into a giant. What school is that again? Uh, so the College of Staten Island, That's which right, is part Island. of. Just blocked on it for a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, which right, is right, part right. of the City University of New York. And uh, there was just a wild swarm of bees that was just hanging uh, out right in the middle of campus. And everyone else was like, what is it? And I realized it was bees. And I called a friend of mine who is a beekeeper who has captured wild swarms in the past. And he basically told me what to do, which is to wait until the swarm settled onto one point, not freak out because wild swarms are actually harmless. At that moment, they have, uh, they're kind of love drunk on pheromones that the queen has given them, and they're really just on the move. <laughs> they're looking for a new home. And uh, I've discovered that uh, this, this swarm of bees was slated for extermination uh, by the buildings and groundskeepers on campus, and I got them to kind of 
stay it, right? But there was still an exterminator that was on his way, and I had to run out and, and try to save the bees, which uh, luckily we were able to do. Well, you said at one point you, you contemplated even chaining yourself to a tree. That's right, what <laughs> I would do for the honeybees. <laughs> but that, that I think we don't understand as far as the, as the person you were with was teaching you about the power of bees, and we've talked a lot, about, a, lot, a, a lot about that on this program. People don't understand what they mean and what losing them means right. to to our to, agriculture. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For everything, I mean, they go everywhere. Yeah, whether it's grains or flowers or whatever that is. Yeah, they're really important. One of the things I learned from one of the leading entomologists um, at Penn State was that uh, the pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides that we are using on our lawns are actually impacting the bees as well. So it's not just the their use, which is true, their use in commercial agriculture um, is harmful, but it's also the kinds of uh, herbicides and pesticides that we're using, ordinary American citizens are using on their lawns um, that are also impacting the bees. So um, it would be great. She she had told me it would be great if you know everyone was just more aware of that and stopped, you know, purchasing these things and laying them in in the ground. So I think you've written a book here that 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 marries the, the kind of things that we really need to have in our lives. I mean, you're very open about the loves of your life. You're very open about your family. You're very open about how you learned about eating the wild things around us and knowing them and feeling them and incorporating them into our existence. So Thank you. Good memoir, good foraging. Eating Wildly, Foraging for Life, Love, and the Perfect Meal by Ava Chin. Thank you, Ava. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure being here. Mark Steiner Show and Soundbites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media, made possible in part by the Town Creek Foundation. Our producers are Stephanie Mavronis and Mark Gunnery. Our engineer is Andre Milton. Our engineer at Delmarva Public Radio is Christopher Rank. Our interns are Sienna Grease, Monifa Wilson, and Calvin Perry. Our theme music is by Juan Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org. To podcast the Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends, visit us on the web at steinershow.org. You can also learn more about Soundbites and listen to past episodes at soundbitesradio.org. Your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and WSDL 90.7 FM, Delmarva Public Radio. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.